Section 38 of The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Mack, Tucson, Arizona. The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1, Mammals, by Charles Lewis Cornish, Editor. The Horse Tribe, Zebras and Wild Asses, by F. C. Salus. Zebras. The zebras have many points in common with the asses, from which latter group of animals they are principally distinguished by their beautifully striped skins. Both asses and zebras carry short, erect manes, and in both the upper portion of the tail is free from long hair. In both groups there are naked callosities on the forelegs only, whilst the head is larger in proportion to the size of the animal and the ears longer than in the horse. In Burchell's and Grevy's zebras, the hoof is intermediate between that of the horse and the ass, for although narrower than the hoof of the horse, it is broader and more rounded than that of the ass. In the true zebra, however, the hoof is thoroughly a sin in nature and the ears very long. The true or mountain zebra appears never to have had a very extended range. It was once an inhabitant of all the mountainous regions of the Cape Colony as well as of the great Drakensberg range and 50 years ago was also found amongst the rugged hills of great Nequaland. The mountain zebra is the smallest of the group, standing only from 12 to 12 and a half hands at the shoulder. It is a most beautiful animal, the whole of the head, body, and limbs, with the exception of the underparts and the insides of the thighs being striped. The ground color of the body is white, the stripes being black, and the muzzle bright brown. Both hind and forelegs are banded down to the hoofs. The stripes on the neck and body are narrower and more numerous than in Burchell's zebra, and on the hindquarters the median stripe, which runs down the center of the back from the mane to the tail, is connected with the uppermost of the oblique longitudinal stripes by a series of short horizontal bars. The ears in this species are much larger than in Burchell's zebra. The true zebra seems never to have been an inhabitant of the plains, like all its cogoners, but to have confined its range entirely to mountainous districts. Speaking on this point, Captain, afterwards Sir, Cornwallis Harris, wrote upwards of sixty years ago, quote, This beautiful and wary animal never of its own free will will descend into the plains, as erroneously asserted by all naturalists, and it therefore never herds with either of its cogoners, the quagga and the Burchell zebra, whose habitat is equally limited to the open and level lowlands, seeking the wildest and most sequestered spots, the haughty troops are exceedingly difficult of approach, as well on account of their watchful habits and extreme agility and fleetness of foot 
as from the abrupt and inaccessible nature of their highland abode. End quote. An allied species of which examples have been obtained by Mr. G. W. Penrice occurs in Benguela, Portuguese West Africa. I once saw the carcass of a zebra stallion which had been sent by rail to the Cape Town Museum by a farmer living in the neighborhood of the village of Worcester. This animal had come down from the mountains and joined a troop of donkeys running on the farm. Its intrusion was, however, resented by a male donkey, which fought with it and overpowered it, and having seized it with his teeth by the back of the neck, held it fast until it was secured by the farmer and his men. The captured animal, however, refused food and soon died when his carcass was sent to the Cape Museum for preservation. Grevy's zebra is the largest and perhaps the handsomest of all the zebras. This fine animal is an inhabitant of eastern Africa, its range extending from the central portion of Somaliland southwards to the Tana River. It appears to be plentiful in the country between Mount Kenya and Lake Rudolph, but has not, I believe, been met with to the west of that lake. Full-grown specimens of Grevy's zebra will stand from 14.5 to 15 hands at the shoulder, with a girth of body immediately behind the shoulders of nearly 5 feet. The arrangement of the stripes in this species differs considerably, both from that of the mountain zebra of the Cape Colony and also from Burchell's zebra. The body stripes are very narrow, numerous, and deep black in color, and are separated by equally narrow white bands. The longitudinal stripes on the haunches are also shorter and finer than in any other species of zebra. And on the top of the quarters, there's a white unstriped space on each side of the median line, which runs down the center of the back from the neck to the tail. The belly and insides of the thighs are white, and the legs are banded right down to the hoofs as in the mountain zebra, and the ears are as large as in that species. Grevy's zebra is, as a rule, an inhabitant of open or thinly wooded country, and it appears to avoid anything in the nature of thick cover. In central Somaliland, Major Swain met with it on low plateau, some 2,500 feet above sea level, the sides of which fell in broken ravines to the river valleys. This country is described as broken and hilly, and here Grevy's zebras were met with in small droves of about half a dozen. In the country between Mount Kenya and Lake Rudolph, Mr. A. H. Newman frequently met with herds of Grevy's and Bruchel's zebra consorting together. The contrast between the two species when thus seen side by side was very marked, the former animals looking like horses among a flock of ponies. Mr. Newman never observed stallions of the two species fighting together, but on the other hand he states that the stallions of the larger species fight viciously among themselves for possession of the mares. Grevy zebras never seem to collect in large herds, more than 20, or at the outside 30, B. 
being very seldom seen together. Although the species is an inhabitant of the arid plains and bare stony hills, where the herbage is short, it requires to drink daily, and is never therefore found at any great distance from water. The cry of Grevy's zebra is stated to be quite different from that of Burchell's. Mr. Newman describes it as a very hoarse kind of grunt, varied by something approaching to a whistle, the grunts being long drawn out and divided by the shrill whistling sound, as if the latter were made by drawing in the breath which had been expelled during the sustained grunt. Like all other species of the genus to which they belong, Grevy's zebras, especially the mares when in foal, become very fat at certain seasons of the year, and their flesh is much appreciated both by natives and lions, the latter preying on them and their smaller congeners. Burchell's zebras, in preference to any other animal, now that the rinderpest has almost exterminated the great herds of buffalo, which once roamed in countless numbers all over east-central Africa. Burchell's zebra once inhabited the whole of southwestern, southeastern, central, and eastern Africa, from the Orange River to Lake Rudolph, and though it has long ceased to exist in the more southerly portions of its range, it is still the most numerous and the best known of all the species of zebra. The typical form of this species was first met with early last century by Dr. Burchell in southern Buchanaland. In this form, the legs are white below the knees and hocks, and the body stripes do not join the median stripe of the belly. In examples met with farther north, the legs are striped down to the hoofs, and the body stripes join the belly stripe. South of Zambezi, all forms of Burchell's zebra seem to have faint markings, known as shadow stripes, on the pale yellow ground color of the spaces between the broad black stripes. North of the Zambezi, varieties are met with in which these shadow stripes are wanting. As, however, the differences between all the various subspecies of Burchell's zebra are superficial and not structural, and as, moreover, the habits of these animals seem to be the same in every part of their widely extended range, I shall henceforth speak of them as one species. Burchell's zebra is without the small horizontal bars on the hindquarters, which in the mountain zebra connect the dorsal stripe with the uppermost of the broad longitudinal bands running across the flanks. Its ears, too, are smaller than the latter species, and its mane fuller. In size, Burchell's zebra is intermediate between the mountain zebra and Grevy's zebra, standing from 13 to 13 and a half hands at the shoulder. Where they have not been shot down, Burchell's zebras often live in large herds of from 50 to over 100 together. I have met with them almost at the level of the sea, as in the Pungui district of southeast Africa, and all over the high plateau of the interior, up to a height of 5,000 feet above sea level.
They are partial to sparsely forested country, intersected by open glades, but also frequent open plains entirely devoid of trees or bush, having once been numerous on the open downs of the western Transvaal and Orange River Colony. They never live in dense jungle, but I have met with them frequently amongst broken, rugged hills. Burchell's zebras are both fleet and enduring, but I have often galloped right amongst a herd of them when mounted on a fast horse and in good ground. In broken, hilly, and stony ground, however, no horse can live with a Burchell zebra. The hoofs of this species seem to be made for running in rocky ground, being deeply hollowed and as hard as iron. I have always found the presence of Burchell's zebras a sure indication that water was not far distant, and it is my experience that these animals require to drink daily and never wander more than a few miles away from the pool or river they frequent. This species of zebra may often be seen in southern Africa in company with other animals such as buffaloes, blue wildebeests, elands, gemsbucks, roan and sassaby antelopes, and ostriches. I have, upon several occasions, seen them come up to domestic cattle and horses. They are naturally not very wary, and in parts of the country where they have not been much molested, are often very inquisitive and will come trotting quite close up to a caravan, provided they do not get the scent of human beings. Foals of this species are easily caught, and become at once very tame and confiding. Nor do I believe that adult Burchell zebras are such vicious animals as is generally supposed, since I have seen several which were very quiet and well broken, whilst even the half-broken animals which were at one time used on one of the coach lines in the Transvaal, did not appear very vicious. As with Grevy's zebra, the flesh of the species under consideration is much appreciated both by natives and lions. I have often seen the fat on the quarters of the mares quite an inch thick. It is of a dark yellow color, and too rich to suit the stomach of a European. The meat is rather sweet in taste, but if fried with bacon, not at all unpalatable. Professor Ewart has lately carried out a very interesting series of experiments on the hybridizing of zebras and horses. The results were very satisfactory. The zebra cross proved to be very hardy creatures capable of wintering in the open on the hills of Scotland. The scientific data obtained were of singular value as showing the effect of crossbreeding on subsequent generations of foals of the same mother. It has long been believed that the influence of the first sire was seen in the foals of which other animals were subsequently the fathers. Thus, if a white mare threw a foal to a black stallion, it was considered that her subsequent progeny would occasionally be black, and instances were freely quoted to support this theory. The scientific name of telegeny was given to this supposed influence of previous sires on future offspring.
Professor Ewart's experiments, in which pony mares were first mated with a zebra and afterwards with horses, show that this theory of telegiony is erroneous. The foals sired afterwards by ponies and horses showed no trace whatever of zebra stripes, but were normal pony foals and not altered either in shape or disposition. The Kawaga, which became extinct about 30 years ago, never had a very extended range, but in the early part of the last century it existed in great numbers on all the upland plains of the Cape Colony to the west of the Kay River and in the open treeless country lying between the Orange and Val Rivers. North of the Val, it appears to have been unknown. The quagga seems to have been nearly allied to Burchell's zebra, especially to the most southerly form of that species, but was much darker in general color, being of a dark rufous brown on the neck and upper parts of the body, becoming lighter on the sides and fading off to white beneath and behind. Instead of being striped, too, over the whole body, it was only strongly banded on the head and neck, the dark brown stripes becoming fainter on the shoulders and dying away in spots and blotches. On the other hand, in size and build, in the appearance of its mane, ears, and tail, and in general habits, it seems to have nearly resembled its handsomer relative. The barking neigh, Quah-ha-ha, Quah-ha-ha, seems to, to have been the same in both species. The quagga is pronounced in South Africa, Quahe, and is of Hottentot origin, being an imitation of the animal's neighing call. Today, Burchell's zebras are invariably called Quahays by both Boers and British colonists. Wild asses. The true asses are without stripes on the head, neck, and body, with the exception of a dark streak down the back from the mane to the tail, which is present in all members of the group, and in some cases a dark band across the shoulders and irregular markings on the legs. In Africa, the wild ass is only found in the desert regions of the northeastern portion of that continent, being an inhabitant of Abyssinia, Somaliland, Galaland, and the Sudan, and the arid districts bordering the Red Sea. The form of wild ass found in Somaliland differs in some respects from its near relative of the Nubian desert, in that it is of paler color has the dorsal stripe but faintly marked, and is without a cross stripe over the shoulders, whilst on the other hand it has numerous markings, both on the front and hind legs. Naturalists are, however, agreed that although there may be certain small differences in the color and markings of the wild asses found in different localities of northern Africa, such variations are of no specific value and only one species is recognized. The African wild ass is a fine animal, standing between 13 and 14 hands at the shoulder. 
It lives in small herds or families of four or five individuals and is not found in mountainous districts, but frequents low stony hills and arid desert wastes. It is, as a general rule, an alert animal and difficult to approach, and so fleet and enduring that, excepting in the case of foals and mares heavy and young, it cannot be overtaken even by a well-mounted horseman. Notwithstanding the scanty nature of the herbage in the districts they frequent, these desert-bred asses are always in good condition. They travel long distances to water at night, but appear to require to drink regularly. Their flesh is eaten by the natives of the Sudan. The bray of the African wild ass is said to be indistinguishable from that of the domesticated animal, which latter is undoubtedly descended from the wild African breed. In Asia, three varieties of the wild ass are found, which were formerly believed to represent three distinct species. But since the points of difference between these varying forms do not appear to be of specific value, all the local races of the Asiatic wild ass are now considered to belong to one species. These wild asses have a wide range and are met with in the deserts of Asia, from Syria to Persia and western India, and northwards throughout the more arid portions of central Asia. In Tibet and Mongolia, the wild ass inhabits the high mountain plateau and lives at elevations of 14,000 feet and upwards above the sea. This local race, known as the Kiang, approaches in size the wild African ass, standing 13's hands at the shoulder. It is dark reddish-brown in color, with a very narrow dorsal stripe. The onager of western India and Baluchistan is a smaller and lighter colored animal with a broader stripe down the back. In parts of its range it is found at sea level. In Persia and Syria a third local race of wild ass is found which however differs from the two forms already enumerated in no essential particular. Like their African cogners, the wild asses of Asia are inhabitants of the waste places of the earth, frequenting desert plains and wind-swept steppes. They are said to be so fleet and enduring that, except in the case of a mare heavy with foal, they cannot be overtaken by a single horseman. The wild asses of the desert plains of India and Persia are said to be very wary and difficult to approach but the Kiang of Tibet is always spoken of as a much more confiding animal, its curiosity being so great that it will frequently approach to within a short distance of any unfamiliar object, such as a sportsman engaged in stalking other game. Asiatic wild asses usually live in small families of four or five, but sometimes congregate in herds. Their food consists of various grasses in the low-lying portions of their range, but of woody plants on the high mountain plateau where little else is to be obtained. Of wild asses in general, the late Sir Samuel Baker once said, quote, 
those who have seen donkeys only in their civilized state can have no conception of the wild or original animal. It is the perfection of activity and courage. End, quote. end of section 38. Recording by Tom Mack.